Welcome to the South Fellowship Podcast. Here at South Fellowship, we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. And wherever you're listening from today, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Jesus is stood at a grave. It's a strange place, really, to find God standing. Stood at an everyday common grave, just like everybody else. There's a huge stone rolled in front of the opening, which speaks to the finality, the the fact that people who are dead stay dead. He may be strange that he's also at the, the grave of a friend. Also at the grave of someone that he loves. Shouldn't friendship with God come with some kind of privileges? Shouldn't one of those privileges be you don't have to die? And yet Jesus is stood at the grave of his friend Lazarus. And perhaps even stranger, when Jesus first hears that Lazarus is sick, he waits three days before leaving. Waits three days to make a journey to Bethany. And when he does make that journey, he walks at the slow, measured pace of every human being, about three miles per hour, just pressing each foot into the dirt, step after step. If Lazarus is his friend, and if he's God, shouldn't he have got there quicker? And then Jesus does what every single one of us has done or will do at some point. He stands in front of a tomb with the stone rolled in front of the hole, speaking to the finality of that moment, and he does what many of us will do. He weeps. He cries tears as he thinks perhaps about every death of every person. Being God, maybe he has that perspective. There's every death from Abel all the way through to the person that died just the day before, and he, he processes those things, and then something changes. There's some change. It moves from weeping to a phrase which in the Greek language literally means snorts with anger. I'm not talking about the snort some of you guys give when you laugh. I've heard some of you, you know that that's, that's your thing, that's fine. But I'm talking about that sense of like a bull and its rage, some kind of injustice. This isn't the way things are supposed to be. There is an anger there that is present. And then he does something even more unusual. He turns to the mourners, to the people that are still in tears, and he says, move the stone away. And they look at him and say, Jesus, this is no time for a visitation. He's been dead for four days now. There will be a stink. Don't do this. And Jesus, in his Jesus-like way, insists, no, we are doing this. And finally, after some persuasion, they roll the stone away. And then perhaps the most unusual part, Jesus says in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forward. And he does. The Greek word anastasis simply means to stand up. For the one that is lying down, for them to stand up and to come back to life. And Lazarus does. This is resurrection. This is this moment that is unexpected. This moment of new life. Right before that comes, my name's Alex, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome. (laughs) If you're visiting, it's great to have you here. Right before this conversation, right before this moment, Jesus has had a conversation with Martha, the sister of the dead man, Lazarus. And it's looked something like this. He's he's made this statement. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? 
seems like this whole conversation belongs after resurrection, right? It doesn't seem like a fair question to pose before the events have happened. Do you believe in resurrection? No, I actually believe that my loved one, like every other loved one, will stay dead because that's what I've grown to expect. Do you believe this one statement that Jesus makes? I am the resurrection and the life. One question that he asks, do you believe this? It's maybe a question that splits the room a little bit, right? For some of us, we would say yes with a but. We would say yes on my good days, perhaps, if I could give, be given space. To be honest, I believe in resurrection, but there's other days where I have my doubts. There's maybe some tension for us in that. I knew that I believed in resurrection when I first did this very strange thing. I prayed for my cat to come back to life. Um, I was like 19 years old at the time, so I don't know if that's like, you know, you're expecting a child to be doing this. No, and, and again, that, that could be good or bad, right? I, I prayed for my cat, and what made it worse was I think I was the one that ran it over. So there was some serious heartbreak, some serious trauma. Trust me, this is a Resurrection Sunday service. We are going somewhere with this. This is an appropriate story. And as I sat there with this dead cat, I had this moment where, where just I said, God, like, would you bring my cat back to life? I, I miss this thing. I miss this animal. It's got my affection, got my heart. I have a love-hate relationship with my cats now. I'm not sure that I would do it again in, this, in the similar circumstances, but, but I prayed for this cat, and in this incredible moment, the cat, the cat did not come back to life. Just, some of you will just be wondering. I was left with these existential questions. I was left with this tension. There's my cat. There's my prayer hands. Got a little lust for the PowerPoint. Did I do something wrong? Did I not say the right words? Is this not important to you, God? Do you not like cats? <laughs> what if it were a dog? got this suspicion Jesus is more of a dog person. I don't know, I could be wrong on this. It could, could be way off base. But I had this moment where, yes, I believed in resurrection, believed it enough to pray those words, believed it enough to mean them, believed it enough that somewhere in the tears that were somewhat humorous and yet also real, believed that there might be a moment where God would bring my cat back to life. Uh, and, and I believe in resurrection. And I think most of you guys would say yes as well, but there are some, some times where we're like, I don't know. I doubt, I'm, I'm uncertain. And then for some of us in the room, if we're given space to be honest, we might say, I don't know if I do. I don't know if I can. It seems perhaps potentially to be impossible. Seems to be too much of an ask. I have too much experience that people, when they're dead, stay dead. Alice from Alice in Wonderland famously says something like this, there is no use believing impossible things. And the Red Queen replies to her in that moment, oh, you just need more practice. And maybe you feel, if you're someone who holds resurrection to be something that you're just not sure about, maybe you feel that the church is just like the Red Queen. We're just like, just try harder to believe this difficult thing. We have this tension with these words. And Jesus stands in front of Martha, this woman that has lost a brother, and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? 
I, in that situation, would love to have asked Jesus from some further questions. What do you mean, Jesus, by that? Why should I believe that? What reason would I have for believing that there is this moment of resurrection when everything tells me that's just not the normal case? Can I really believe in resurrection? If you are someone that says, I would say resurrection seems impossible, I would totally sympathize with you. But again, with a but... What do you mean by impossible? What do you mean by impossible? I have this like persnickety nature is the word I would use. I like words to be used correctly. And of course, being from a different country, that gives me all sorts of problems living with you wonderful people. When I first came over here, my brother sent me this very nice message. He just said, how can you live with these people? They drive in the parkway, park in the driveway, and they play football with their hands. And I was like, that's a, that's a fair point. And it took me ages to use the word football when I actually meant something completely different and it took me even longer to finally use the word soccer and allow that to come out of my mouth. I have this thing that, about words and it probably makes me insufferable to be around much of the time. And when you were use the word impossible about resurrection, I would have questions about whether that is the right word. It reminds me of the famous Inigo Montoya from Princess Bride where he says, that word you keep using, I do not think it means what you think it means or at least it may not be the right Choice, what do you mean by impossible? Improbable? Maybe. Unexpected? Definitely. One of those perhaps is the right words, but impossible. Certainly the first people that experienced Jesus' resurrection, to them it was unexpected, just as it might have been to us. I think we have this way of treating people in the first century. We, we, we think about them as being just a little bit backwards, not perhaps as smart or sophisticated as us. Of course, we might say they believed in resurrection back then. This may be news to some of us, but the dead stayed dead with the same monotony in the first century as they do today. Resurrection did not happen on every street corner. It was as surprising then as it would be now. But the first women to encounter this story of a risen Jesus were just as surprised as we might have been. In Mark chapter 16, verse 1 to 3, we read this. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices. The women slept in for the morning. They, the men got slept in for the morning. They got a nice nap. The women were the ones there first doing the work. Brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. They don't go to a resurrection. They go to a funeral. The Jewish people would bring spices and put them on the body in the hope that it would stave off the, decom the decomposing experience for just a little bit longer. They are trying to hold on to something like normality. This isn't a resurrection they're going to. This is a funeral service. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? Their minds are full of spices and stones that are in the way. They are not thinking resurrection. They're thinking they continue to mourn this leader, this rabbi who is dead. They're in a very similar place to the place I would suggest many of us would find ourselves in. Resurrection is at least unexpected. 
But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. As you often are when you find a tomb to be empty, when you expect it to be full of some kind of thing. Don't be alarmed, he said. Again, strange phrase. I would be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. They are greeted with the words, he is risen. What do they do with that? What do you do with that experience? What do you do with that encounter? What do you do when you encounter something that you think to be impossible? Because again, if you find resurrection to be difficult, to be impossible, perhaps. I sympathize with you completely. Every single one of us know we have experiences where we see things, where we say, was that really true? Did my eyes deceive me? I had a friend of a friend that was a pastor in a church in Bel Air where they did everything spectacularly because the church was full of movie stars and producers, all these Hollywood people. And so at one point they hired this magician and in this last final act, he took this glass orb ball and he levitated it off the stage. It just floated for everyone to see and there were the gasps and the cheers and the oars and as it died down there was a slow clap from the back of the room and this voice said that was flipping amazing you should do that again I cleaned up the language just a little bit and the person at the back was Mel Gibson who had apparently had a little bit too much to drink and had come in to watch a children's conjuring show and he too had been tricked by this illusion and my friend in this poor moment was stuck in this tension of what do I do do I say something about the language do I ask him to leave or do I do what he ended up doing which is to say if Mel Gibson wants you to do it again you should probably do it again it was just that good it was an illusion though it was a trick it wasn't real and maybe we feel that way about resurrection maybe we feel these women have been tricked he has risen what do we do with something that we think is impossible but again I would question whether impossible is the right word for what we're talking about here. I would suggest written into the DNA of this universe is the possibility of resurrection. And that if Jesus is who he says he is, if he is God in human flesh, then the resurrection is not just not impossible, it's not even improbable, it's actually probable. It actually makes sense. In the midst of a conversation, uh, Jesus has this incredible ability to make incredible tangents, just to seemingly go off into a different story and say something all together different. And in the midst of a conversation, he throws this out to his disciples. I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Unless a kernel of wheat, a seed, falls into the ground. If it doesn't fall, if it doesn't die, it doesn't do the thing that it is made to do. But let's stop and think for just a second about this experience from the point of view of the seed. What happens to it? It's placed in the ground into a hole, sound familiar, and it is covered with dirt, sound familiar. And in that moment, it seems from the seed's perspective that everything is done, everything is over. The story is finished. But then something incredible begins to happen. 
Some big thing way up there does something where it speaks to this thing in the ground. The ground begins to warm and something begins to take place. Some element of life sparks and this seed begins to grow and somewhere there is new life and it turns out the seed wasn't actually buried. The seed was just planted. There is something in nature that suggests that resurrection is possible. It seems lurking there in the DNA of everything that we see around us. It is the experience that we have this spring where things that you thought were dead and gone are actually alive and being prepared to shoot up from the ground. The poet Anne Bradstreet said this, the spring is a lively emblem of the resurrection. There is a moment where this seed is buried, but it's actually planted. And Jesus uses this phrase to talk about his own life, his own future of death and then resurrection. And let's think about that story for a second from Jesus' point of view. There is this moment where he is dead. He is buried in the ground. Sound familiar? Something covers over that and all is darkness. And it seems like a burial, but then just, just like the seed some big thing up there starts to speak to this little thing down here and there's this moment where life starts to connect again and suddenly it turns out that Jesus, just like the seed, he isn't buried. He's merely planted. There is something bigger here going on that is so infixed in the DNA of our universe. I, I would suggest that resurrection is certainly not impossible. It's improbable for humans surprising always, but it seems written into the code of everything we see around us. The poet Pablo Neruda said this, you can cut all the flowers, but you cannot keep spring from coming. Resurrection is the story of spring emerging when it's least expected. After a long winter, when we've kind of given up hope that anything will be different, suddenly new life begins to emerge and that is worth celebrating. And I love that they are greeted with the words, he is risen. He's not alive. Alive and risen are very different from each other. If Jesus is alive as the son of God living on earth, that's not unusual. It's not unusual that God in human flesh should meet, meet crucifixion and not die. That's not an unusual story at all. That's just like many of the other people that we meet that are gifted in ways that we are not. It's just like Beethoven being able to write symphonies while deaf. It's just like Superman being able to fly. If you've met Superman, that is. I haven't. But it's just like Superman being able to fly when we can't. It's just like Elon Musk creating billion-dollar companies when we can't. It's just a special, particular gift. If he's just alive, that's all it is. It just affects him. But if he's risen, that seems different. If Jesus in human flesh took on all of our experiences, if he met that last enemy death and defeated it, well, that changes the story for everybody. Jesus wasn't buried. He was merely planted. And he's not alive. He's actually risen. There's a passage by a writer called Frederick Beekner that I will probably read at every Easter service until I die because it just encapsulates everything I wish I could say. Resurrection says the worst thing isn't the last thing about the world. It's the next to the last thing. The last thing is the best thing. It's the power from on high that comes down into the world that wells up from the rock bottom worst of the world like a hidden spring. Can you believe it? 
the last best thing is the laughing deep in the hearts of the saints. Sometimes our hearts even. Yes, you are terribly loved and forgiven. Yes, you are healed. All is well. Three women, Mary, Mary, and Salome, on that day when they expect nothing but a burial, are met with the news, he is risen, and they are left to decide, what does that mean? What do I do with that now? What's next? I have this particular dislike for endings that don't make sense. I like everything to be wrapped up in a way that I find to be healthy. In a book, I find it obnoxious when there's something that just seems to be often, and there's something about this ending to Mark's gospel, Mark's biography of Jesus' life that just leaves me in this point of tension. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And I have this moment where I say, Mark, that's where you're going to leave it? That's where you're going to leave the greatest story in this moment where they're not going to say anything to anyone? Why stop here? This doesn't seem to be like the place to stop. It reminds me, going back to Alice and Alice in Wonderland, the book ends, oh, I've had such a curious dream. It's like nothing that happened really mattered. And I read Mark's ending, and I'm like, that's where we're going to leave the tension? For a moment, these women are caught in this point where they hold the greatest story ever told in their hands, and they're not going to say anything. That's going to be it. That's going to be the end. The writer Fleming Rutledge says that the, the gospel writers have this tension between dark and light, day and night. There is this idea that the bad things happen at nighttime. Jesus is arrested at night. He's crucified ultimately in the dark. There are all of these different ways that night bad things happen and the day is where the good things happen. And I would suggest for a moment these women are caught between day and night. What does this story mean? There's this moment where resurrection has happened. It is true. But I don't know if it's true yet for them. I don't know if for them they can quite embrace this story. I believe it may be a factual event, but it means that it's still missing something. There's no transformation for them. And I guess that seems normal. Jesus' conversation with Martha didn't begin where we began it earlier. There's a part before it where... Jesus asks her this, your brother will rise again. He asks her to say yes to this statement. And Martha answers how I think many of us would answer. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Have you ever said something like that? I've been in a conversation that looks like something like that. Someone passes away and there's this phrase, oh yes, it'll be okay somewhere. They've gone to a better place. I'm sure it will all work out fine. It's not a specific belief about anything. It's just a hope that someday everything makes sense. And that's what Martha at this moment can give. That's what she can say yes to. Yeah, Jesus, I hope someday it all works out. But Jesus won't let us stop there. He seems to say, Martha, I have more for you than this. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? 
there's this moment where Jesus pushes Martha, and I would suggest pushes us to go beyond just saying, did the resurrection happen on an intellectual level or not? Is it a story that is true or not? There's this moment where Jesus wants more. He wants to know that the resurrection is true for us ourselves, that there's something about it that is life-changing, that we have taken hold of this story and allowed it to take hold of us too. And there's this moment where these women sit in that moment of tension for Mary, for Mary and Salome. There's this moment for Martha where she sits in that tension. What does this story mean? Is it just a story for Easter Sunday where we sing songs like Christ the Lord is risen again? Or is it a story for every day? Is it a story that we wrestle with intellectually? Did it happen or not? Or is it a story that changes everything? It seems like Jesus is not willing to let us stop at that moment where we would just say, oh, it's just a good story. He wants us to capture the fact that this story can change everything in the world around us. The writer Tom Wright says this, the message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ and you are now invited to belong to it. You are now invited to belong to it. And amongst our wrestling with, did the resurrection happen in the midst of your struggles of, is it possible or is it impossible? It seems like the more fundamental question is actually, does resurrection do what it promises to do? Is it generally, genuinely a thing that transforms? Will you believe this? Seems to be a better reading of Jesus' question for Martha. I don't know that really what he's asking her is, do you believe this? I don't know that he's asking for intellectual assent. I think he's asking Martha, will you embrace this story as your story? Will you take this story in and allow it to be transformative for you? Does this story mean something more than just it was an event that happened long ago? What I find captivating about Easter is this. God creates this story where he places everything, he risks everything on his son Jesus. And then in the moment that the story is created, he does perhaps the oddest thing. He entrusts this story to human beings like you and I. For this moment of tension, for just this split second, the greatest story that will ever be told is held in the hands of three women who are too scared to tell anybody and won't be believed even if they do. There's this moment where all of the potency of resurrection, all of the possibilities that it creates are on the verge of being snuffed out because of fear. There's this moment where nobody will say anything and you're left in this tension. Mark creates this tension. We get to experience that first tension of what? What happens now? What does this mean? Does the story end here? Is this all it is? And yet they do tell. And they are believed. And there's this moment where the story beginning there with people that suddenly have not embraced it as an intellectual thing, but have embraced it as this internal transformation. Suddenly the story springs from that moment and it goes out into the world around it. And what we see is that wherever this story goes, the story grows. And I don't mean grow in terms of change. I simply mean grow in terms of the more it goes, the more people it reaches and it pulls more and more people into the this story and it transforms more and more lives at its heart resurrection is not about intellectual assent 
It's not about the, the details. It's about whether it's transformative. It's about whether it changes you and I. Paul's way of saying this, I always miss the TV is gone. Suddenly it's gone and I'm like, wow, where am I? I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Pope John Paul II said this, we are Easter people and hallelujah is our song. As you wrestle with the idea of resurrection, wherever you sit on that spectrum, perhaps for you resurrection is a thing that you believe deeply and there are no doubts whatsoever. Perhaps you wrestle with the tension of sometimes I feel like I can pray for my dying pet and sometimes I just don't feel that kind of belief. And perhaps you walked in and said, no, I'm pretty convinced this thing seems impossible. I would suggest that resurrection is all around us. It's written into spring. It's written into the caterpillar becoming a butterfly. It is written into so much of what we see. The question isn't, is it impossible? The question is, did it happen? And if it did, does it genuinely transform? Is it just a good story to sing about once a year on Easter? Or is it a story that captures hold of our hearts, that as we capture hold of it, it captures hold of us and it changes us as we go? The story of resurrection isn't just a thing to be remembered. It's a thing to be lived. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for resurrection and Resurrection Sunday. Thank you in the midst of this world that seems to be centered so often around death and its finality. Thank you that you stood at a grave as a friend and wept. Thank you that you felt this sense of anger and frustration. You called to Lazarus and he stood up. Thank you that you lived our death and gave us resurrection. Jesus, as we sing, keep transforming us. Amen. If God is working in your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us. You can give online at southfellowship.org give or on the South Fellowship Church app. Thanks again for listening and have a great rest of your day.